welcome back to another episode of 5 a.m. Theology. So, Chris, this week, nestled in the midst of more passages from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and a lot of genealogies, we find chapter four from the book of Daniel. And something that really stuck out at me was that Daniel had the gift of being boldly gentle. Throughout his entire captivity in Babylon, which was when he was about 17, and that lasted the rest of his life, at least 70 years, he stayed in Babylon even when the Medo-Persia Empire overthrew Babylon and became the kingdom in charge. Daniel was bold. He bravely and unapologetically boldly declared the truth of God and the messages that he received from God. Daniel also had a gift of being gentle. I mean, we see it over and over with his interactions with King Nebuchadnezzar, with the guards, with the other magicians in the court, with King Belshazzar, and with King Darius from the Persian Empire. I think part of the reason is probably Daniel's nature. We certainly see what a humble man that he is, but also because he knew he was speaking the truth of God. He didn't have to be arrogant or aggressive about it because he knew it was the truth. And since it wasn't his truth, it was God's truth, he didn't have to be defensive and be obnoxious when he was making his point. And lastly, I think one thing we see from Daniel throughout his ministry is that he genuinely cared about people, all people, whether they were Judahites, Israelites, or pagan unbelievers. Yeah, you're right. We recently did an episode on the book of Jonah in No Trash, Just Truth. And we use Daniel as an example of a contrast to Jonah, who couldn't care less about the people of Nineveh. Chris, the passage that we're going to talk about today is from Daniel 4, and it's where Nebuchadnezzar has a second troubling dream. Now, if you remember in Daniel chapter 2, the king has a dream about a giant statue, which Daniel told him were successive kingdoms, one of which was his kingdom of Babylon. Daniel told him that God had ordained it, that Babylon was going to fall to another kingdom, which turned out to be the Medo-Persian Empire. And then in chapter three, maybe inspired by the dream, Nebuchadnezzar makes a 90-foot statue of gold that everyone must bow down to and worship when they hear the music. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to, and Nebuchadnezzar throws them into a furnace where God miraculously saves them. And then we get to chapter four and the king's second dream. And what's already happened is important because Daniel's given Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his first dream that his kingdom would fall. And Daniel 2 verse 46 says the response was, and I'm quoting here, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. But then shortly after this, he's making a 90-foot statue representing himself, and it's to be worshipped. And when Daniel's friends, who the king had set in high positions at the request of Daniel, don't worship it, he doesn't hesitate to try to burn him to death. So you would think that when the king comes to Daniel with a second dream, Daniel would have a bit of an attitude about it. And I think I would, no surprise to you, I'm sure. Especially because this dream doesn't bode well for Nebuchadnezzar. The king starts out saying to Daniel in Daniel 4.18, O Belteshazzar, and that's Daniel's Babylonian name, 
tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able for the spirit of the holy gods, that's little g with an S, is in you. Now, I have to say, I'd be a bit salty here. I'd probably start my message with something like, God's already interpreted one dream and you acknowledge that he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And then you set yourself up as a God and we're going to kill his followers who refuse to bow down to you. And now here you are begging for his help again. So that's probably how I'd start my response. And that's probably why God chose Daniel for this mission and not me. Because you would have been dead and so would I. But Daniel's response, his real response, not just his words, are opposite of that, opposite of what we would have done. Instead of delighting a bit in the king's dilemma, Daniel 4.19 says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. God had shown Daniel that the king's dream was prophecy, that God was going to give him the mind of an animal, and that he was going to live like an animal, actually live like one losing his kingdom for seven whole years. And after all that Nebuchadnezzar had done, beginning with attacking Judah three times, taking most of the people, including Daniel, into captivity, destroying the temple, laying waste to Jerusalem, demanding that the Jews practice pagan worship and other atrocities, Daniel was upset about the king's fate. Yeah, and we should say Daniel's alarm is not because he's afraid when he tells the king what he what he saw that the king's going to kill him. Daniel even says, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So Daniel was upset because of the fate of the king. Daniel's track record speaks for itself. He boldly interpreted the first dream, not concerned with consequences. Later, he boldly tells Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, King Belshazzar, that God would deliver Babylon into the hand of the Medo-Persians. So Daniel's completely bold when he has a message from God to deliver. So any alarm or dismay that Daniel's feeling had nothing to do with any kind of fear. It was genuine concern for Nebuchadnezzar and what awaited him. Yeah, and we see this after he tells Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to get the mind of an animal and live like an animal for seven years. This is what he tells him in Daniel 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, Daniel truly wants the best for this pagan king who has destroyed his land and imprisoned him. And I think there's some really good points or lessons to be said in this passage that we should take note of. Just like we asked in that No Trash, Just Truth episode on Jonah, How concerned are we for unbelievers and for our enemies or for those who might wish us harm? Do we want to preach the truth of God to them because we truly want them to come to repentance and belief in Jesus? These are some really good questions to ask ourselves. Yeah, I think we should do it on a regular basis. Although we don't have time to read the whole chapter, if you go back and read it and read chapter two, where Daniel interprets the first dream, you see that Daniel's words are uncompromising. They're bold, yet they're gentle. Never does he try to sugarcoat anything or make it less severe or serious than it is. He sticks to the facts, God's facts. He doesn't interpret anything himself, and he doesn't show that he takes any pleasure in what he's saying. Now, 
The prophets only spoke the messages exactly as God told them to. But Daniel interacts with others, and that's all him. When he tells Nebuchadnezzar that he wishes the interpretation were for those who hated the king, that was all Daniel. And I think that's a great lesson for us. Daniel was gentle and compassionate to everyone around him, but he didn't let that interfere with speaking God's truth. Yeah, and so many Christians and churches err on one side or the other. They are either so compassionate to others that they are willing to compromise the truth of God's word to make the people or persons feel more comfortable. To them, it's more important that the person feel love or what they think is love rather than telling them God's truth about their sin. Yeah, and of course, that goes the other way. There's those who are so quick to preach God's truth about sin that they leave no room for compassion. And Chris, as you know, both are wrong. Both misrepresent who God is. If all people hear from us is that God is love, God loves you, God loves you just the way you are. He made you the way you are and therefore he accepts you the way you are. Or scripture needs to be understood in light of today's society or any of the garbage like that that we hear all the time. If that's what's coming out of your mouth, that's not love. In fact, if that's what's coming out of our mouths, we're no better than Jonah. Jonah could care less about the people of Nineveh. He didn't care that they faced condemnation and that they were going to go to hell. And if we're not willing to tell people the truth about their sin, then that's got to mean we don't care either. Yeah, deep down, it has to mean that. And the same is true for the other approach to just point out a person or some group of people's sin without showing them the love of Christ and that Christ died for their sin. And if they accept him as their Lord and Savior, that God will bring them to repentance and they'll be accepted and loved as children of God. That's what's loving. And we always need to remind whoever we're talking to that we are sinners too. And we would be in the same fate as them, if not for Christ. We need to show people love. Rosaria Butterfield was a liberal lesbian college professor who was led to Christ by a pastor and his wife who showed her the love of Jesus. They didn't pretend her sin didn't exist, but they just loved her despite it. They told her the truth, but they did it lovingly. I think at a time like today, when we see so much brokenness and so much lostness, Daniel's approach of boldly proclaiming God's truth with gentleness and compassion is so warranted and so needed. And we see proof that it's effective. After King Nebuchadnezzar's mind was turned into the mind of an animal for seven years, God restored him. Chapter four of Daniel ends with Nebuchadnezzar saying, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. God was the one who brought Nebuchadnezzar to repentance and to seeing the truth about him. God's always the one that has to do it. But you have to wonder, how much of an influence was Daniel on Nebuchadnezzar? Did he think about Daniel's combination of boldness and uncompromisingly declaring the truth of God while still being able to be compassionate and gentle? Did that help him to see and come to know who God is? We know it certainly didn't hurt. And I think that's the key to being boldly gentle. Are we helping those around us to see who God is and come to know him? Or are we presenting a false God, whether that's a weak God who winks at sin or a cruel God who's ready to crush people for their sin with no recourse? 
we need to present God exactly as scripture does. The sovereign, almighty, holy God who cannot let any sin go unpunished, but who loves his people so much that he himself took the punishment for that sin. That is the truth that Daniel knew. And that's the truth that we need to boldly and gently proclaim. Amen to that. And that's a good place to end. Have a blessed morning, everyone. Thank you.